This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. When launching a new product, it can be difficult to understand what should take priority. You must think about what will have the highest impact on driving value for current customers while also considering how to attract new ones. Needless to say, there are a lot of moving pieces. One crucial element of any product launch framework is sales enablement. But the questions are, you know, where should sales enablement fit into this prioritization? What role, what role does the sales enablement team play in the go-to-market process? And how can you align your efforts to create a to create success every time? Exploring these ideas, these questions with me today is Mr. Marcusini, product marketing manager at Jobber and and the host of the Product Marketing Life podcast. Mark, welcome to the show. Uh, super happy to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So, um, okay, we, we got to address the, the you know, elephant in the room, and that is you're a podcast host, and now you're on that side of the mic. You know, how does this feel? Yeah, I, as we were saying before we hopped on the call, it's definitely a different feeling. I'm used to being the one who gets to just have the easy job and ask the questions, listen, and hear really intelligent people you know, give me ideas and drop wisdom. So having to be the one delivering some kind of value is a little bit of an odd feeling, um, but I'm excited nonetheless. Well, you know, needless to say, I'm, I'm excited for you to be here. Tell us more about you. Tell us more about Jobber, you know, and then we'll hop into our convo. Yeah, I'd love to. So yeah, you know, I've been doing product marketing for almost a decade now, which is crazy to say out loud. Um, I got my start at a video game studio here in town, um, which was a real interesting experience. I didn't even really know what product marketing was. I remember being in an early conversation with the individual interviewing me at the time. And they said, you know, Mark, you think you're great. I think you'd be a great addition to the team. You've got two marketing roles open for you right now. You've got corporate marketing or product marketing. Which one do you think you'd be more interested in? And I took a pause and I genuinely panicked and said product marketing. I had never even heard of it, but it definitely sounded a lot more exciting than corporate marketing. And honestly, in that moment, it was pure luck and kind of panic, as I said, um, but I'm happy that I said it. And I, and I you know, did that role, got my first exposure to product marketing for three years, decided to take a, a brief pause and actually work at an advertising agency here in town as well. Uh, and that was just a great exposure to really all things marketing, worked with some great clients, really good creative team. Uh, but after a year, just realized, you know what? Agency life is just not not for me. Uh, and I think a lot of people come to that realization. Yeah. It's, it's a stressful place uh, in general. Um, and, I, and I felt, you know, I really miss product marketing. So after that experience, I uh, landed at a product marketing role at a company uh, called Voices. Uh, they're an online marketplace for primarily voiceover artists. They've since expanded into some other audio-related disciplines as well. And they connected businesses to voiceover artists. Uh, and I was their kind of lone product marketing hire at the time. So delivered a ton of value, helped them with their positioning, their buyer personas, uh, and really kind of built out the product marketing function from the ground up. And by the time that I had left, about a year and a half after, we had actually grown the team to two, two and a half-ish product marketers. We, we had someone from sales kind of uh, moonlighting as a product marketer in their spare time. So that was a great experience. But then it came to Jobber, where I am today. 
joined a growing product marketing team. Jobber in and of itself uh, was growing at the time and has continued to grow. Uh, and, you know, really wanted to see what it was like being a part of a, a product marketing team and learning from other product marketers, which is something that I hadn't had the chance to do at that point in my career. Uh, shortly after joining, an opportunity to join the fintech side of the business came up and I jumped right on it. And that's really where I've been for the past almost two years is focusing on, you know, helping jobbers, customers who are primarily home service um, providers. So your, your plumbers, your lawn care professionals, your residential commercial cleaners, um, you know, I unlock the value of embedded financial solutions that are coupled with Jobber's primary solution, which is, you know, business management software. Uh, and yeah, that's where I've been for, like I said, the last two years and where I find myself today. So um, voiceover, if, if you did, if, if you were to be the voice talent for something, where would you place yourself? Like, like, you know, what are you, who, what's your voice talent connection? Honestly, I feel like podcast host is probably the only place I would land because I don't feel like I have the acting chops to do anything else. Honestly, working at Voices exposed me to how challenging of a discipline that really is. I think oh my a lot gosh, of people think, right? Yeah, everybody thinks, well, I could be a voiceover artist, no problem. But then you actually start to listen to voiceover artists perform and what good voiceover sounds relative to poor voiceover. And it is just, it's a real skill. And the ones that are really good at it, they can make significant careers out of it. So for me, podcast was probably the the, the top of what I could achieve uh, voiceover wise. So I'm not buying it, but I appreciate the humility. Uh, I, I think, you you know, there, there could be some spots. In fact, you've got Tintin behind you. And, you know, maybe may, who knows, maybe there's a future in the Tintin area. I don't, I don't know. Just saying. You never know if uh, I, I don't know if I could ever convince my wife to uh, to, to let me dive into uh, to voiceover <laughs> acting, but you never know. So my kids would place me as a uh, Poe from Kung, Kung Fu Panda because oh, nice. not only, um, yeah, I think just because of the look and, you know, the mannerisms, they look at me and they're like, dad, you're, you're Poe. I'm like, oh, that's, I suddenly regret all of my life decisions. All right. Enough about us. Let's get into this. Let's get into our conversation here. Uh, you came up with something that's, that's vastly interesting, right? So you came up with the prioritization framework uh, for product launches. Um, why? Why did you, yeah. why did you come up with a new one? Tell me about that. Yeah. Great question. Honestly, there are really two reasons. The first one is, you know, as any product marketer knows, there's always something happening on the product side of the business. There's always a new feature being released. There's always an update. And especially as a lone product marketer, which I've spent a good chunk of my career being, it can be overwhelming. You really don't understand or, or know going into it. Where should I be focusing my time? What releases should be getting my attention? And which ones do we think, you know, my customers are going to care about the most? Um, so, so that was a big, big one. It was just helping product marketers, especially loan product marketers, understand what their focuses should be on with this model. Um, the second one really was what drove us to create in the first place. And I say us, I mean myself and the rest of the team, product marketers at Jobber, was because we had an existing framework in place. And this framework was one that had actually been developed uh, at Intercom. Uh, so product marketers listening, they, they may have seen it. It's basically a two by two on one axis. You've got new innovation versus existing solution or me too. And on the other axis, you've got uh, retention or customer acquisition. So basically depending on where a new feature or product landed in that two by two, you would assign a priority. Whether it was you know, P1 being the most important and P3 or P4 being the least important. And in, in, trying to apply it to where our organization was at the time, we just found that it really didn't serve us well and it kind of fell apart. And the reason is, and I think, again, a lot of product marketers in the SaaS space have probably experienced this as well, is that 
our market was so crowded that not much of what we were doing in terms of product development was genuinely a new innovation. Now, that's not to say that the product teams at Java aren't constantly bringing out quality products and, and you know, updates to the existing solution, but because it was so crowded and there's so many competitors, everyone was kind of doing the same thing. So when we took a step back, we're like, well, we're always doing Me Too features, which basically meant every release would either be a P2 or a P3. So we never really had the justification to doing a big P1 launch. And then we often found ourselves asking each other, well, is this a retention play or an acquisition play. And so many of what we were, so many of the features I should say that we were working on or supporting did both. So that, that framework in and of itself really broke down and we decided we need something that suits our needs as a business and our customer needs as well, because that was the other big piece was that that framework that I just described, nowhere in there does it talk about the customer. It's solely focused on the business. Isn't that crazy? That's yeah. cr That's crazy. Yeah. If you think about it as a product marketer, like we should be, again, to use a phrase I guess thrown around way too casually, but product marketers are supposed to be customer obsessed. And to use a framework that nowhere references customers was just a big, a big miss in our opinion. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I love this. It, when, whenever I, I see the go to market or the, the launch uh, plans for a new product and it talks only about internal stuff, well, this is our you know value proposition. This is what it's going to do. This is how we, I'm like, forget about you, man. Like no, no offense, yeah. but it ain't about you. It's about the yeah. customer. I mean, do you disagree? No, not at all. And, and I think the, the framework and the way that we designed it and what we hope it, it has accomplished is that it, it really needs to balance the two. So of course you want to do what's best for the customer, but sometimes what's best for the customer isn't always what's best for the business. So this framework sets out to really identify that area where both of those two things kind of meet each other and assign a priority based on that. Um, so I'll do my best to describe a visual framework with words. Let's here. go. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, here we go. But really, if you think about it, the, the framework that we've designed is, is basically a three by three matrix. So along the you know, X axis, you've got business value. And we've broken that down into you know, low, medium, and high. And on the Y axis, we've got customer value. And again, low, medium, high. So on your farther right, farthest, highest, uh, most right quadrant, you've got, uh, or not quadrant, but, but sector really, you've got P1. And then in the bottom left, you've got P4. And then there's a variety of P2s and P3s mixed in, depending on where you are in that framework. Uh, and, and really the, the benefit of the framework as we designed it is it allows the, really the PMM org uh, within an organization or the broader org coming together to define what business value is and what customer value is. And it really does depend on the business, the industry, the customer. Um, so we are not so prescriptive in the framework to, to say, hey, whenever you apply it, it has to always be this. It should be consistent for the company that you work at. But the way that, you know, Jobber defines customer business value could be vastly different than, you know, someone working at, I don't know, Slack um, would define it. So we then asked ourselves, okay, how do we define business value? And I won't get into the, the, the nitty gritty of how we define it, um, but the, the beauty of the framework is it allows you to be flexible and uh, assign what that, uh, that priority is, or not that priority, excuse me, but that value and allow you to change it depending on what the business's focus is at any given time. So obviously, you know, businesses exist to, to make a profit. So you could argue that's always gonna be what drives the most business value is what's, you know, impacting profitability the most. But in a given quarter, let's say there's a specific metric or specific strategic imperative that is really the focus of the entire org. You could swap out that definition definition of business value and insert a new one and align all your product activity or releases to that core metric or initiative. Same thing goes on the customer side. Now, ideally, if you're targeting you know 
largely the same customer base, that customer value shouldn't change too dramatically. But if it does, given on you know market circumstances, uh, maybe other solutions that come into play that bring other value to customers to the market, you can adjust that y-axis as well. Um, and, and that's where we found it to be the most successful is that flexibility and uh, you know ability ability for us to apply depending on where the business is and where our customers are at any given time. So the other thing I want thank you for that, uh, and I for me that makes good sense. Where you want to be is top right P one, right? Where you want to avoid is bottom left P four, and likely we we spend a, a good chunk of our time somewhere between two you know P two and P three. Am I am I kind of following? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's important to recognize too that you know P fours and P threes aren't inherently. A bad thing. There's yeah, always gonna not be, inherently evil here, right? Exactly. There's always going to be things that the product org is going to have to focus on, whether it's bug fix, fixes, whether it's quality of life fixes. It's not so much about orienting the product org to only focusing on P1s and P2s. It's more about allowing the product marketing to prioritize go to market and launch efforts around P1s, P2s, and focusing the most there, uh, as well as the rest of the, in, the, the org. So I know that I have found um, in, in my role at Jobber and elsewhere that because there's so much happening, as I said at the onset, it, it's hard to figure out which features anyone should be focusing on. So if you're feeling that internally, imagine how your customers might feel, right? Uh, so if you're releasing things once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, it can become a lot and you can really start to drown out what the real value is that customers and your internal team should be focusing on. So by saying, hey, this is a P1, you immediately send the signal signal to everybody internally that says, oh, this is a big deal. So whenever you're talking to customers, you should, if it makes sense, whenever we're thinking about, you know, the next three to 12 months of marketing campaigns, if we've got this P1 or P2 on the horizon, then we know we need to be, you know, allocating resources to support that as best we can. As well, you know, we found success in grouping, you know, maybe a couple P3s and P2s together instead of having multiple smaller messages throughout the year or any, you know, in one given period, you group them all and say, hey, we are launching these several features together and this is why a customer should care. So it, again, it just really helps you kind of get tight on what you should be focusing on and really what your customers should be focusing on. Oh, okay, so that I think that's the value, right? So what you're trying to do is push the customer to be focusing on a specific area at a specific time. Why group? Tell me more, what's the value? What's the benefit? What's the impact of the grouping of the two and three together in, in a message to the customer? Yeah, absolutely. So. Depending on the size of your product org or really your product marketing org, again, you could have one product marketer supporting five product teams, you know, three supporting 15 or 20. It, it can start to get unruly as the org starts to grow. Yeah. So what happens is if you've got, you know, product team A with a launch next week and product uh, team B has a launch another week after, and then, oh, product team C and D, they're actually launching two separate things the third week. Well, if you did some kind of announcement to your customers, every single time that one of those things launched, you'd have up to four different messages in market within a three week period. So if I'm a customer and I haven't, maybe I haven't logged into your software in a couple of weeks, or you know, I'm getting an email from you every single week, in addition to the regular system emails that I get from you anytime you know, I use the software, it becomes too much, right? You just start to tune it out. I'm sure we've all been customers of uh, you know, software or services where it just feels like, okay, I get it. Like you want me to know that you've done this cool thing, but leave me alone. It's too much. By grouping, it allows you to identify, you know, updates and features that might not make a huge splash independently, but when grouped together have a real impact and you can get customer attention because you're just going to market with one message about several features, as opposed to several messages about, you know, those several speech uh, features independently. 
I love this. So, okay. Yes or no question. And, and which is terrible. It's like the worst because there's always, but yeah, but, but yes or no. Ready? Is anything truly new? Yes. I genuinely think that there are, you know, organizations out there that are, you know, actively working on solutions that we haven't seen before, right? Like if, if you think about, again, to use an example that's talked about arguably too much right now, but generative AI, right? Months ago, no one had, I mean, there were people obviously who had heard of it, but sure. the mainstream- but it was bleeding edge, was, bleeding edge. Right, exactly, right? So that is something that's absolutely net new that customers had never been exposed to before that would undoubtedly be a new innovation. Um, but- Again, and I said, don't use the but, but I would say in more mature or markets where there are a lot of competitors, it becomes very challenging to come up with something genuinely new. And it's only going to be one company who can complain that can claim, excuse me, we are the first ones to do this. So once one's done it, everybody becomes a follower or a me too. And again, if you apply that old framework, that means those other companies can't make a big deal about it, but really their customers might get excited about their ability to now use this feature that they've seen other businesses offer their customers. So. Okay. Okay. So, so we're cooking with gas here. Let's, let's now talk about sales enablement and how they, yeah. they play. How do they fit within this framework? Uh, you know, give me your thoughts here. Yeah. So I see sales enablement coming in in really two regards to this framework. So, so first, when we talk about assigning our priority, genuinely, that should be a conversation between the product manager and the PMM that is, you know, developing the feature and preparing to bring it to market. So they should be looking at this framework together as a team and saying, okay, based on what we know about what we're working on, the value could drive to, the, to our customers and the value it would mean for our business, where does this land on this framework? Now, I say the PM and the PMM, that doesn't mean there couldn't be outside contributors internally that would help inform that decision. So ideally, a, a good PMM should be talking to their partners across the org, whether it's sales enablement, whether it's success, whether it's support and saying, hey, I'm partnering with this PM, we're working on this new feature, this is what we think it's going to do. What do you think? Are we way off base in terms of customer value? Because again, those teams are the, typically the closest to the customer. They engage with them the most often. So that's really where I see sales enablement playing in kind of like the, the planning phase. And then absolutely sales enablement plays a critical role in the execution of that launch strategy. They have so to. I mean, that, that's, that's yeah. the bread and butter. Exactly. So when we're talking about translating that priority and the tactics associated with it to an actual you know, launch plan, you should be leveraging as a good PMM, your sales enablement partners to say, hey, this is a P1. Therefore, these are all the tactics that we could leverage, but based on your role and what you know about the customers and the broader sales org, which tactics did you, do you think would be most effective? Um, and then they have to then go and execute when it comes time to launch. So, so those are really the two ways I think sales enablement plays a critical role in bringing that prioritization to life and then executing the launch. Okay. So neglect <laughs> neglect is cue sarah mclaughlin you know music um but do, do you feel like sales enablement is often neglected in most organizations during product launches and if so the follow-up question is why yeah honestly if you were to ask me this question i don't know maybe three or four years ago i would say probably yes and i and the reason i say that is because because product marketing has become such a critical function in a lot of especially SaaS businesses these days and there are so many great resources for PMMs, you know, podcasts like this one, uh, you know, organizations like the PMA. I, I think most PMMs are now wise to the fact that you need to be leveraging sales enablement, especially when we talk about go-to-market and launch for the reasons that I just described. 
Um, you know, there are few teams internally that have that level of exposure, not just to the customers, but to the team that then sells to those customers. So they really need to be, to be looped in. I can understand though, if you're a lone PMM, for example, and you're managing again, those multiple launches, it might be challenging to get the time with sales enablement, uh, or if the sales org is super busy and the sales enablement team is just focused on solely supporting them and not necessarily looped into the launch process, then absolutely. I could see sales enablement, you know, maybe being left out in the cold, but I think nowadays there's enough guidance out there that, you know, a well-informed PMM should be leveraging their sales enablement team on a launch, uh, as much as they possibly can. What's the risk of missing out on that alignment between the PMM and the sales enablement? What, what happens there? Yeah. So typically, and I've been guilty of this in my own career, especially early on is, you know, product marketing and product will get super amped about a launch. They'll assign a priority. They'll prepare all the tactics. They'll do all the planning and then they'll throw all the sales enablement resources that they've created potentially independently of sales enablement. So it becomes a big surprise to sales enablement when, you, when PMM goes to them and says, Hey, I've got all these resources. I've got, you know, these additions to the battle card and these FAQs and these objection handles and, and sales enablement looks at it and says, none of this is going to resonate with the customer or my sales team isn't going to care about this because they're just focused on selling. And that's typically where I see kind of like the, the bad outcome is product marketing, just throwing a bunch of stuff over the wall to sales enablement and sales and saying, Hey, take this and run with it. Sales looks at it. They say, yeah, okay. Like I'm too focused on my current deal to care about this feature that's coming out two, three weeks from now. I'll care about when my customers care about it. And that's where you can really see that breakdown is, you know, all that time and effort going into those resources, just getting wasted and ultimately not helping to, to close more deals by leveraging the value of those new feature updates that product has worked so hard on. In essence, it could, it could delay the impact of the feature release into the market. Yeah, absolutely. Cause then you have customers potentially discovering those new features and updates, you know, uh, organically and on their own after they've already been converted. Um, so think about, you know, especially if a feature that's working on is a, is a key one that would drive significant customer value. If a sales enablement team and a sales org had the information and was informed about it, they can leverage that in active, you know, deals um, to, to ideally or potentially either close new customers or, or shorten the sales cycle. You used uh, a word organic, discover, you know, organically. Uh, I prefer the fastly more uh, technical term onesie. Um, so they, they, they discover it on their onesie, right. And, and it could be good and bad, but really it's a flip of the coin at that point. And, and you, you know, depending on if they are feeling good or bad, or if they woke up on the wrong side or the right side of the bed, you're leaving things up to chance. When we have control as PMMs sales enablement, when we're a fully aligned organization and we're releasing features, functionality products, this, that, and the other thing, you know, we we're taking control of the narrative in a way that can lead them to, to seeing the value more quickly. Am I, am I kind of following kind of the thread you're pulling? A hundred percent. Right. And again, if we, if we use an example of, if, you know, a product org and a PMM team is launching a P1 or a P2, well, if a customer knows because they've, you know, re read the messaging or they've engaged with the sales uh, member of the sales team um, and that sales member has been equipped with the enablement material to, to be informed they can discover that so much more quickly than they would have independently. And they might actually be able to understand the value prior to using it than having to play around or experiment with it and potentially get turned off from it altogether. Um, and obviously we're talking hypotheticals and every, you know, software solution is different, Totally. but you know, right. But ideally, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah, well, fair point. Um, ideally your, your P ones and P twos should 
be on the customer's mind, not only when they're in the product using it, but outside of it, because they're reading the materials and they're engaging with the sales org throughout the funnel to know that that functionality exists. Yeah. How let's get to the, how we, I think you've done a wonderful job telling us the why and who, right. Let's get to the, how, how can you create better communication alignment through your sales enablement strategy? Yeah. Uh, big question. Um, I know. Right. And, and no no yeah. pressure. Yeah. Well, and, and the, again, as I said, the good news is, is there's a lot of resources out there. So, you know, if anybody's listening to my answer here and feels as though I've, I've gapped on something, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, resources out there that could help supplement it. Um, but, but really, you know, when I think about looping in sales enablement, you know, whether it's, you know, through the launch process and the go-to-market process or, or outside of it, you know, in the day-to-day, ideally product marketing should be interfacing with sales enablement weekly at minimum every two weeks or, or monthly, just to have a touch point and say, Hey, this is what product and product marketing are working on. And this is what you need to be aware of that that's upcoming. And, and that could be a feature release um, if it's just a product marketer, that could be new enable material. It could be new user personas. It could be updated positioning and messaging, but there needs to be kind of constant cadence of, of regular touch points between PMM and sales enablement to ensure that sales enablement and the broader sales org is informed as to what you know value the product marketing org is driving. Um, then on the flip side, you know sales enablement and again the broader sales org plays such a critical role in the feedback loop of collecting feedback from customers and providing that back. So product marketing and sales enablement should really work collaboratively on establishing a a funnel through which that information can flow, right? Again, whether it's those weekly or bi-weekly or monthly touch points, or if it's, uh, you know, a Slack workflow, that's one thing that I'll say that, um, you know, a job we're very fortunate to have a really strong Slack usage. Um, and, And we've actually developed workflows whereby anyone across sales and sales enablement can basically collect customer and market feedback fill out a really quick Slack workflow form and have it collected. And then we actually have some other workflows and backend infrastructure that then tracks it in a kind of our central customer feedback and research hub. So that if I'm a product marketer and I know, you know, I want to do some research into a specific area of the product or a specific customer or sorry, not customer, but competitor, I can go into that research hub, type in those keywords, and then I'll be bombarded with um, those workflow submissions, potentially gong calls um, as well, where that topic is discussed. So you really need to work closely with sales enablement to make sure that feedback mechanism exists so that product marketing can go in and quickly find the information they need and that sales feels that they can empower their customers to proactively provide that feedback to the sales teams and then get fed back into product marketing and product. Okay, that's helpful. Any other, anything else that, that organizations can do be, you know, to align the communication between PMM and, and sales enablement or... Um, to align through your sales and element, anything else, any other recommendations? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, you, you, depending on the type of org, you know, some orgs, if they're working on bigger deals or protracted deals, if you're selling into enterprise, for example, a, a good win loss program will absolutely help um, align, you know, PMM and sales enablement. The way that I've seen it is typically PMM and sales enablement should be running that win-loss program either proactively or product marketing should be supporting the sales enablement org to run that win-loss program independently and then reaping the benefits of all the insights. So ideally, again, product marketing should be uh, engaging with the sales enablement team regularly to talk about win-loss conversations, to to run regular win-loss surveys, to 
participate in regular win-loss interviews so that, you know, when product marketing addresses some of those loss reasons, sales enablement should already be up to speed and aware of what those loss reasons are. And then, you know, that should just up-level the type of material support or net new uh, feature functionality that product marketing is then passing on to product to develop um, that the sales enablement team can then inform the sales org about and then ultimately sell into customers for. So win losses, you know, that's, that's our bread and butter at primary intelligence. So, you know, we're a win loss analysis organization. I'll give you your five bucks later for plugging win loss analysis. But what I want to know is specifically as a PMM, what are you listening for? Right? Because there's, there's an extraordinary amount of lot of volume of insight and it can lead you down lots of different paths as a PMM. What might you be looking for specific in product launch stuff? You know, what, what, what might you be looking for? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, there's a couple of key things. So when we talk about product launch specifically, I think one area that product marketers should keep a keen eye on um, a couple there's, there's um, you know, our customers or sorry, our, is the sales org using the language in the enablement material that product marketing has created. Let's so go. Yeah. Right. So that it resonates as best as product marketing feels it will with the customer. Right. So are they using the positioning and messaging guidance? Are they talking about the feature in the, in the correct way or in the most impactful way? Obviously every sales rep is going to talk differently, but as long as the core spirit of that message is being delivered, you know, PMM shouldn't be as concerned if these specific words are being used. So that's, that's one key piece. The other piece um, is, you know, I think product marketers should be actively listening for, for customer feedback on functionality in general, right? Um, you know, again, the way that we're set up here at Jobber is, you know, myself and two other PMMs, we're in the kind of the go-to-market branch of uh, the PMM team. So we have kind of specific portfolios within the broader product that we're responsible for. As I said, I'm responsible for FinTech. So whenever I'm listening to sales calls, I'm looking for those terms that I know directly impact the FinTech's product roadmap whether that's payments, whether that's lending, whether that's other things or an emerging technologies that we could be pursuing. So, so that's another big part. And then, and then lastly, I would say is as a product marketer, you should be speaking the same language as the customer, much like your sales team would in a call. So you want to be looking for the lingo, the phrases, the industry speak that customers use secondhand, that if you're a product marketer, who's never worked in that field before, you would never have been exposed to. So I know that's of critical importance to PMMs in like the cybersecurity field. That's a very technical field. And if you're not up on the key terms, you know, the, the acronyms and the lingo, whenever you write new positioning and messaging, and if you're not using those terms, it's going to fall flat with your customers. So those are really like the three primary areas. I'm sure there's a ton more, but those are the three that, that really stick out to me. No, I love that. I, I think that's, that's right on. All right. So rounding third here, winding our conversation down, uh, by the way, Mark, you've been uh, amazing, man. What advice? So <laughs> what advice would you give to our listeners uh, on where to start with prioritization, right? With, with your prioritization framework, uh, how do they start to use it? Where do they start? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Cause I actually had funny. I, I gave a talk at a recent PMA summit event in Toronto, which is close to where I live um, about this framework that again, myself and the other product marketers at Jobber have been working on. And uh, an attendee had actually followed up with me afterwards and said, hey, we, we love the framework. We actually want to roll it out. Can we have a 30 minute call and pick your brain? And one of the biggest things that they wanted to know is like, how do we get internal alignment around defining what business value we should be driving is? I think a lot of the times, depending on the size of your org, different teams can get so siloed that they're often focusing on different things. 
right? Whether it's a set of key metrics, whether it's a key initiative that the different teams are focusing on. And if you don't take a second to meet together as a group and say, hey, at the end of the day, what are we trying to drive in terms of business value this quarter or this fiscal? And again, obviously the easy answer is profitability or top line revenue. And that's okay if that's the case, but there could be other underlying metrics that speak to the overall health of the business that had you not had that conversation cross-functionally, you would have never known. So that's the biggest piece of advice is get really tight on the business value. And then the same thing should be said for the customer value. Again, we all engage and interact with customers differently. So depending on how often you're engaging with customers and the types of customers you're engaging with, you might have a very narrow view of what value is, right? Like if I think about, again, my own specific example, if I was solely focused on just FinTech at Jobber mm -hmm. um, and not thinking about how FinTech plays into the broader software solution, I might miss out on a total piece of connective tissue between our SaaS solution and where FinTech plays into that. So I kind of need to be aware of what my fellow, you know, other go-to-market PMMs are working on and the customer value that they're driving. And we need to be aligned as to what the top level customer value is that we're all working towards, not just independently in our own kind of product section slices of the product. So, so that's the big thing is just getting tight alignment on how you want to define customer value internally and then business value internally. Once you've done that, the framework kind of not runs itself because you ultimately have to apply it, but it becomes very straightforward. And then the next step and extension of that is basically just as a group uh, of PMM and your broader channel partners across sales, support, and marketing, identify the tactics that make the most sense for a P1 versus a P2 versus a P3 and P4. And almost do it as like a chart of, hey, if this is a P1, we should be doing X, Y, and Z. If it's a P2, maybe we'll just do X and Y. If it's a P3, we'll only do X and so on and so forth. So those are that's the next exercise that you would want to go to. So those are really the, the two biggest pieces of advice I would have when it comes to this framework is get tight on customer business value and get alignment across your channel partners on the tactics you would apply at each priority level. Man, phenomenal advice, right? Um, by the way, we hear, uh, you know, for the listeners of our show, they're going to hear a very common thing, almost invariably, regardless of what the, the episode is about, when, when we're getting advice from our guests, it's almost invariably one of two things. One is, and it's top, it's mostly this one that you just landed on is get tight on how you, what you're doing applies back to the business. With that, things tend to fall in place. And when you don't have that alignment, you know, you're shooting in the dark, you're going to, you know, it's, it's hit or miss, it's flipping a coin and you don't want to live your business life playing 50, 50 ball. That's like not the place to play. No, absolutely. And again, I think PMMs are inherently faced with that challenge because I, you know, I've seen it countless times um, across various product marketing communities, PMMs, especially loan or junior PMs asking, Hey, I'm new to this org. How do I demonstrate qu the quantifiable value that my role is, is driving? So if you think about it, if you apply this framework, you can say, okay, well, we know that we are driving this business value with these features and I am directly supporting these features and how I bring them to market. So in a roundabout way, by me supporting this launch and it being a successful launch and successful, I mean, you know, identifying what the launch goals are and assigning targets to that. If we meet those targets, then I can say as a product marketer, I played a role in driving that business value forward. So if you can do that, then you, you, have, a, you have a clear path to demonstrating that value and ultimately, ideally to more senior roles and more prominence within the org. Mark, thanks for being on the show, man. It has been a pleasure having you here. Thanks for having me. It's been great. For more from Primary Intelligence and to learn more about this framework, 
check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.